So I want to um, begin the reflections this evening um, with uh, appreciation for everyone here, for each of you. We often say on, on retreat, you know, it's not easy to take the time to kind of meet our experience. And I think uh, there's a lot, as I said last night, a lot of courage and willingness here to do that. And there's something about that sensitivity that we, that we share as human beings, uh, having a body, heart, and mind. Mm. The sensitivity that yeah, just comes from that, or with that. And there's something that I think we all know here, each in our different way with our particular um, conditions and situations. But we all know that that aging, that illness, that loss, that um, death are part of life, part of nature. So each of us knows that in our own way. And it's part of what has brought us here. And we know that, and at the same time, we both live in societies that don't make a lot of time for knowing this. And we live within also internalized habits of heart and mind, of meeting, yeah, with denial, with ignoring, with rejection, meeting these aspects of the human condition, the human experience. And so much of what we're doing here together and individually is to create the conditions that allow us to look more closely. Yeah. And each of us in our own pace And to look more closely and therefore to bring more understanding. And to bring more understanding what can then support us on this journey, which is a journey of deepening compassion and wisdom. So I want to share this evening some reflections on this. And these are reflections... Um, that come from this particular set of teachings called Buddha Dharma. Yeah, the, the Dharma, the teachings, as they have come through the Buddhist traditions. And I really want to say, I'm not speaking of this, these reflecting on these, sharing these as some ultimate truth that I expect you to ex accept yeah, and follow. Uh, they, these are an invitation an invitation to us to explore how is this relevant to my experience? 
That's what we're interested in. Not I need to believe this or not, but how is this relevant to my experience? How is this relevant to my life? If it is, in what ways? And so much of the time we're taught, especially around spirituality and religion, that we can't pick and choose. <laughs> and, and here, you know, we're saying, you know, listen, explore for yourself. Take what is appropriate and helpful. Yeah. Take what's appropriate and helpful. helpful. Yeah. And don't worry about the rest. So this afternoon, we were kind of just starting to explore, uh, to meet. What happens to us when we come into contact with the painful in our lives, in life? What happens when we come into contact with that which is painful? And there's a beautiful teaching on this, uh, one of my favorite teachings actually, uh, which many of you may be familiar with, or some of you. It's called the teachings of the two arrows or the two darts. So I'm just gonna read a a short um, paragraph from that text. And the Buddha is speaking and describing what happens apparently the Buddha is speaking and describing <laughs> as it's come to us, what happens to um, an ordinary person mm. when they are touched by a painful feeling. Mm. So the Buddha in the text is referring to a painful bodily feeling in particular. And the language he uses is, is interesting. He says, when an, an untaught worldling... <laughs> translated as an ordinary person, is touched by a painful bodily feeling. They worry and lament. They beat their breast. They weep and are distraught. They thus experience two kinds of feelings. It is as if a person were pierced by an arrow and following the first piercing are hit by a second arrow. So that person will experience the pain, the feeling caused by two arrows, not just by one. And so let's already notice what comes up (laughs) and soften, continue to listen. Let's unpack this a little bit. So the first arrow, a painful bodily feeling yeah. and we can reflect on simple examples yeah. stub our toe yeah. hit our elbow I'm quite a clumsy person so I'm pretty <laughs> familiar with these kind of things yeah. that's the first arrow the second arrow is our reaction yeah. and habitually when we don't bring awareness yeah and intentionality, very often our reaction will be a form of reactivity. 
So another way of saying that, it will add a layer of suffering to our experience. So further arrows can be, I'm just going to name some of them again, see if they're familiar. Resistance, rejection, desire for something else, avoidance, struggle, self-judgment, anger, blame, guilt, shame. And so especially nowadays and in, in kind of with our modern humans, a lot of the second arrows are, are <coughs> kind of self, yeah, around ourselves also. I shouldn't be this way or I shouldn't feel this way, yeah, for example, as well as it shouldn't be this way. And as kind of meditators, we're interested to unpack this even more, yeah, to see, ah, there's that initial contact with a painful feeling. And then there's these layers added to that experience. And we're interested to see how do these second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth arrows, (laughs) Buddha only spoke about two. Pretty good, pretty lucky guy. (laughs) How do they manifest in our mind and our body? How does it feel? How does it feel when this is going on? So some things we might notice are that there's a sense of contraction, of limitation, of friction with experience. Very much these layers of contraction and limitation we can feel in the body, we can feel in awareness. Does that make sense to people? And so this, this is interesting, yeah, because when we notice this, yeah, it's not just a, a thought that's arising, but it also has um, an impact, or we can also feel it via the body and via the, uh, the awareness itself. And that gives us more handholds on the experience, more places to, to work with it. So sometimes we might look at this um, model you know, of the two arrows and say, say it this way. Yeah. There is what we might call unavoidable dukkha. Yeah, dukkha, this word that's often translated as suffering, yeah, but actually it's the whole range of experience from kind of a mild unease yeah, or discomfort all the way to very intense distress. So there's the unavoidable. It goes back to what I said at the beginning. Having, uh, having a, a, a body, heart, and mind. Yeah. There's unavoidable dukkha that comes our way. Yeah. There's aging. Yeah. There's change. Yeah, there's discomfort in the body. There's loss. Yeah, we might say these are, to a great degree, unavoidable for a living being. Yeah, they happen. So there's the unavoidable dukkha. That's, we might say, the first arrow. 
And then there's the workable dukkha, what I call the workable dukkha, which is the second, yeah, and the third and the fourth, yeah, everything that comes after. The workable, where we can cultivate. Yeah. And there's a beautiful, beautiful passage in the suttas. Um, I think I always mention it on this retreat. Uh, where the Buddha already in his last years, so he's, he, he lived to, an, to a very, um, lived a long life, uh, especially for that period of time. And so he's, he's looking over the congregation of monks and nuns. Mm. And beside him is his friend and uh, attendant, Ananda. He's also his cousin. And he says to Ananda, he says to his cousin, the Sangha, the community, is empty, Ananda. It is empty without Shariputta and Moggallana, who were his dear, dear friends that were with him nearly from the beginning of his journey, but had died before him. And I, I'm always really moved by this because we might have the image, yeah, there they are, the Buddha <laughs> behind me, yeah, looking very serene and peaceful. And we might have the image that they don't have first arrows anymore, yeah. And this passage tells us something else, yeah. There's a sense of loss and grief and sadness at the fact that the friends that were there are no longer there in the body. And there's that grief which the Buddha called a natural emotion, natural emotion, but without secondary errors, without anything more than that. Yeah. Something very powerful, we can feel the sadness, we can feel the pain but it does not arise with contraction, it does not arise with friction, it does not arise with a sense of limitation. And I hope that we can hear this not as a sense of he's somewhere there and I'm here, <laughs> yeah, in a sense of kind of what I'm experiencing is not good enough or not okay. Yeah, but actually we can hear it as that sense of possibility. And also that common humanity that the Buddha also shared yeah. with us. So let's continue. Yeah, we keep unpacking. It's like Christmas in here. Yeah, keep unpacking this teaching. Sometimes I say that kind of thing, and I think that's really funny that I use that image because I didn't grow up in a culture where Christmas is a thing. Where did I adopt that from? Where did it come from? Funny, anyway. Minds, human minds and hearts, very interesting. So this teaching points to, kind of has more and more layers uh, that, uh, for me at least, are interesting. Yeah, interesting. 
it points to the fact that our experience is more complex than we tend to um, take it to be. Yeah. Our tendency as human beings going through our lives, moving through the world, is to experience things as happening yeah. and being perceived, being known. Yeah. So there's me here talking and that's a kind of a thing happening. Yeah. And it's got nothing to do with the fact that you're listening to me. And it's got nothing to do with... Um, you know, if you like this amount of light in the room or you would have liked that us to turn more on. And it's got nothing to do with whether you've heard me speak before or not. And it's got nothing to do with your mood or how well you slept. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and we could say it's got a lot to do with all those things. Yeah got a lot to do with all those things as well as countless others. So when we see, when we look more closely, we see there is a relationship going on between the heart and mind and what it experiences. There's a relationship going on. And that relationship has an impact. We'll be kind of talking to this a little bit more over the days. This is really important and profound in the possibilities that it opens. So I want to kind of give a couple of examples of this um, using some um, modern contemporary research into, into pain. Um, yeah, pretty sure I actually came across this re research one, one year when I was cutting out the pictures for the <laughs> exercises, which is something we do most years before the retreat. And it was in one of the magazines that someone had given me. But anyway, you didn't need to know that. But if it's amusing, then yeah, good. So the first uh, research is... Uh, something that has been um, uncovered around some types of chronic pain, not all types of chronic pain, but with some particular types of chronic pain, what was discovered um, is that 70% of the pain yeah, that is perceived by those people who perceive it, who have that particular chronic pain, is actually not the original sensations in the body, but the way the body contracts yeah, around that area or that sensation of painfulness. The way the body contracts and the way the, the heart and mind contract. Yeah. And these are, you know, we're not doing this on purpose, they're habits. Yeah? There's pain, the body contracts as if it wants to isolate yeah, that sensation to a particular place. And some of us know this very well in our experience. Yeah. And the mind and heart do the same thing often. Yeah, that's part of the kind of reject rejection and resistance. Yeah. And so when people were taught relaxation techniques and compassion practices, some of that was able to ease. Why? Not because the initial sensation changed, but those layers of extra contraction 
Yeah? And can we see the relationship to the arrows here? Yeah, these extra arrows. Yeah? Workable. Remember the workable layers. Yeah? They could be relaxed and eased through intention and attention. Yeah? And then the level of pain that was uh, experienced decreased. So this is one uh, interesting experiment. The second one um, was to do with uh, pain relief. I'm hoping I'm going to remember it. So people underwent, it was a group of people that underwent um, uh, some surgical intervention. And they were given the normal dose of painkillers that they would be given for that. Some of them were then given um, an additional tablet that they were told was an additional painkiller. But it was actually a placebo. Had no known effect on pain. And yet, the levels of pain they reported were lower than the control group, which only had that one pain relief medication. So even though they all had the same actual pain relief, those who thought they were getting additional pain relief actually felt or reported, perceived, that they felt less pain. This is interesting. And again, it's not not about, oh, I'm doing something wrong (laughs) if I feel pain. It's about what does this tell us? What does it tell us? What does it uncover? So the expectation. Sense of how this is going to help. Helped probably to reduce and release some of the contraction that was built up in the experience. And then the dukkha goes down, the degree of suffering goes down with um, the release of contraction, with the release of that sense of limitation, contracting around. Does this make sense to people? Just checking that you're with me. Is everyone still okay with this amount of light? Anyone want more light? Yes, okay. My assistant, who loves to be called the assistant. all the way to the back maybe is this good yeah too much for anyone not yet all right thanks Nathan so so much of what we're doing in meditation practice is we're simplifying our experience enough yeah, we're simplifying it enough so that we can see the habitual reactions to things. Yeah? 
and where they lead. So simplifying things enough, yeah, anchoring with a simple object of attention so that we can start to see how am I reacting to something and where does it lead? How does it impact experience? That's one thing that we're doing. Another is that we're cultivating ways of relating to our experience that reduce contraction and reduce dukkha. So we've been doing that today with a kind of the allowing, welcoming, receiving, the receptive mode of attention, naturally, the open hand. When the hand is open, less contraction. And the more we do this, less contraction, less demand, and more freedom. So back to the sutta of the two arrows. So the Buddha in that sutta doesn't only, sutta means text, doesn't only um, describe the um, ordinary person, the uninstructed worldling. Uh, The Buddha also describes the well-instructed disciple of the noble ones, i.e. the Buddha students. And in that description, he says, you know, the instructed, the well-instructed disciple, the person who applies themselves to this practice and these teachings, they feel the pain of the first arrow, but do not feel the pain of the second. Do not add the arrow, the second arrow. And I would say I I take the liberty of adding to that (laughs) when feeling the pain of the second arrow. Having the skills, the capacity, the faith, and the possibility to reduce, to unclench that fist into the open hand. So I I kind of touched on it earlier, but the ending of suffering as taught by, uh, as taught in Buddha Dharma, doesn't necessarily mean uh, the end of physical pain, the end of grief, the end of loss. So again, the Buddha, um, in his later life, there's pieces in the sutta where his back hurts and he goes to lie down. It's not like that doesn't happen and it doesn't necessitate an appropriate response. Back hurts and go to lie down to ease that pain in the body. So the ending of suffering as taught in Buddha Dharma doesn't necessarily mean the end of these forms of pain, of grief or loss. These are elements of our shared humanity, our shared human condition. But we can invite ourselves to gently, kindly, patiently explore. Am I adding additional arrows. Am I adding additional arrows to the experience? And first of all, just be interested in that. And what would support me to let them go? Even a little bit. A little bit goes a long way, as we know. A little bit goes a long way. So this is an ongoing exploration 
yeah, for us. And, and it's possible for us as human beings. It's an ongoing exploration. It's not like we'll get it and that'll be it. Yeah. But we keep applying this. We keep exploring. We keep asking ourselves with gentleness and compassion. Yeah. Something being added here. And what would support any degree of letting go, any degree of the easing of contraction? So this is possible for us. And so I want to kind of bring in another uh, teaching which is very uh, relevant to, to our exploration here. And this is called the teaching on the daily recollections. And we can see them as reflections on the human condition. And I want us to invite, I'm going to, to say these, um, these recollections, at least four of them. And I want to invite us to listen, yeah, and to listen to the recollections, but also to listen internally, what arises in us as we hear them. And to explore what happens if I soften, yeah, as we've been doing, if I soften the body, if I soften the space of awareness, as I listen, if I have an intention to meet myself in kindness and compassion, yeah, as I meet yeah, these statements. Yeah. Or we can say, what happens when I meet this with an intention not to fire additional arrows? Yeah. Not to fire additional arrows. So here they are. I am of the nature to grow old. I cannot avoid aging. And just make sure that you're breathing as you're listening. I'm of the nature to become ill. I cannot avoid illness. I am of the nature to die. I cannot avoid death. All that is dear and beloved to me is of the nature to change. There is no way to avoid separation. And just seeing for ourselves, is it possible not to add errors here? Uh, to listen with compassion and kindness and care to ourselves. Yeah, not following the habit of rejecting or denying, but actually to open yeah. as far as we can, as much as we can. And this, the way this particular translation begins, I, I really love it. I am of the nature. Yeah. I am of the nature. A reminder that we are part of nature and there's lots of things that we appreciate about that. And this doesn't mean that being of the nature, 
reflecting on this doesn't mean that we don't have agency or possibilities of response in the way we meet our lives and the painful in our lives. It's actually quite the opposite. This reminder, instead of bunching all the dukkha in our lives into one pile, putting it all in one basket, that remembering there is the dukkha that's unavoidable. That's something that we share with all living beings. Yeah. Those gentle giants on the lawn, yeah. the real teachers at Guy House, I like to call them, yeah. with uh, parsley in the walled garden that's just getting a little bit too big now. <laughs> and we'll probably go into its next cycle of life soon. We share that with all living beings, with the birds, the cockerel that was crowing in the middle of the night last night. Did anyone else hear it? It was just me. It's bizarre. Yeah. Something that we share, the unavoidable dukkha. But there's also the workable dukkha. And so there's agency in the cultivation of how we meet our experience, which is what everyone in this room is doing. So we can begin exploring what are ways of relating to experience that can support us to loosen those habits of reactivity, of shooting more arrows. What are the habits, what are the ways of looking that can support us to ease contraction, ease friction, open limitation? I sometimes call that loosen the arrows when they've already been shot whenever that's possible. And just like I said in the opening talk, we hold that aspiration to let go of any dukkha that we can let go of. We hold that aspiration dearly and clearly. But we also forgive ourselves when we don't, when we can't do it. We forgive ourselves. We bring compassion to the exploration. This is a process that we're on and it it doesn't have a particular time frame. It doesn't have right and wrong. Mm -hmm. So I have a good friend who we used to teach this retreat together for several years. Her name's Caroline Jones. She's one of the teachers here at Guy House. been in the US for quite some years. And she did a lot of work with this teaching of the daily recollections herself. She found them very difficult. (laughs) I'm saying that because there's, I don't know how many talks on Dharma Seed where she says it. (laughs) So I'm not telling you anything private. Found them very, very difficult. And so she worked with them. Here's the agency. Yeah. Until she found the language that resonated with her, that allowed her to hold these without adding layers of contraction and suffering. And so this is her version of the the recollections. And again, I encourage you to listen and to see. How does this meet you? Breathing gently, I lovingly remember. This body is aging. 
Breathing gently, I lovingly remember. This body is vulnerable to illness. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember. This body will die. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember. Loss is part of life. Breathing gently, I lovingly remember to meet this moment with wisdom. So perhaps we can begin to see or continue to see even more. I've used this word, I think, already, the nobility of what we're doing here. When we, whatever way is possible for us, look this way, contemplate, reflect, come closer, deepen understanding. We are doing something for ourselves, but it goes much beyond that. And this example from Caroline, through working with these and finding her own language in her own way, this is a gift that she's passed on to so many people since then. Meeting the human condition. Meeting, I said the human, the being conditions, it's not just human beings. As it manifests through these aspects also. And important to say also, it's not just this. With gentle breath, with compassionate heart, and with an intention of wisdom. As we do this releasing and easing contraction, releasing and easing contraction, releasing and easing extra arrows and unnecessary layers of dukkha and of suffering. And so something that these recollections point to, remind us of, encourage us to see that these conditions of living beings, of life, of nature, they're not just mine. They're very personal, but they're not just our own experience. I think today perhaps we could feel it, at least some of us in the exercise. The resonance with each other. (coughs) so this practice that we're engaging with this journey that we're on is not just uh, something that we do one time we get it and that's it it's an ongoing exploration it's rooted in the beauty in the nobility the courage the willingness that is in each and every heart and mind in this hall Nourishing compassion, nourishing metta, and also supported by them. So this is a journey, and we're making it at a pace that is individual and appropriate to each of us. It's shared by all of us, but it takes a different shape through each of us. And both of those we can hold and value.
And I want to close with uh, something a friend shared with me. And he was accompanying his wife on her journey from life to death. And he said, you know, sometimes it was so hard to feel the helplessness. And that all he could do in those moments is to say to her, he said it in Arabic, but he said it to me in English, I am here with you, Khabibti. I am here with you, my beloved. And this is also something that we can bring towards ourselves. And I've used that sentence countless times with myself. That sense of, I am here with you. Khabibti. I love that word in Arabic. I am here with you. Khabibi, if you're a man and you want to use it. And just that sense that sometimes we all know this in our experience. Just that presence. It's what we get from the giants on the lawn. Yeah, from the earth. sense of being when we can rest with that when we can rest with that so thank you for your presence. Thank you for being here, for your listening and your practice. Let's have a quiet moment together to bring this to a close. May we continue our exploration of our human and non-human condition with all its beauty, its joy and its sorrows. And may our practice together be a nourishment to each of us and all of us, all beings everywhere.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.